Would y'all stand this morning as we worship together? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can
Father, God, as we gather here this morning, God, we, we gather with, God, open ears, ready to hear your word. God, we gather with hearts that need forgiveness and restoration because we have failed you. Yet, God, we we gather with hearts that are encouraged because we know that you love your children, that you have given yourself for us. That God, you, you are at work in our midst. You're a comforter in our difficulties. God, we are just thankful this morning that as we gather together as a family of faith that you are here with us that you neither leave us nor forsake us. But you give us hope. You give us hope in the midst of... God, in the midst of all the turmoil of the world, in the midst of all the heartache, in the midst of all of the uncertainty, we have hope in you. 
And God, that's greater hope than anyone has in anything else, anywhere else, any time else. And so God, this morning as we gather, as we worship you in spirit and in truth, God, I pray that you would direct our worship, that you would keep our focus on you and you alone, that you would set aside in our hearts the stresses of the week, the doubt and fear that we have. God, the distractions that so often pull us away from you. God, we we just pray that you would work in our midst. God, forgiving us where we have failed you restoring our hope. God, we pray this morning for those who are sick around us. God, we know there are many in our, in our families and our friends out in the community. God, we just, we just pray for comfort and healing. God, we know that there are relationships that are broken and we pray, God, this morning that they would be restored. God, we pray that in all that happens and all that we do, God, in our service to You and our obedience to Your Word, that You would receive all the honor and glory and praise for it. God, I just pray that as Your Word is proclaimed this morning, God, that You would speak to our heart and direct our paths as we pray in the precious and holy name of Christ. Amen.
so much that so long ago you took care of everything for us. Father God, that today we can stand in the promise that before creation even started, you had a plan for us, a plan for me, and a plan for your fellow believers. Father God, a plan for every single person here today, that the God of the universe that is capable of creating something out of nothing loved me so much that he sent his one and only son to die for me. And not just so that I could be reunited with him in heaven, but we could have a, a life here on earth, Father God, that is impactful. A life that honors him. A life, Father God, that draws others to Christ. This morning, Father God, we pray that you would help us to be mindful of what your will is for our lives. Father God, that as pastor speaks, that we would listen that we would try to become the people that you want us to be, that we would break down the walls that prevent us from true change in our lives. Father God, we recognize that you are our one defense, you are our righteousness, and that without, us, without you, Father God, that we are nothing, that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So Father God, we pray this morning that you would give us ears to listen and hearts that would be changed. We thank you and we love you, and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Good morning, everyone. I hope you are doing well and have had a good week. Uh, if your children are going to Children's Church, they can go with Pastor Lore at this time. I want to invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. As you're turning there, I um, was reading a paper yesterday that one of my students wrote and uh, it was okay, I guess, and 
One of the things I saw as I was reading as they were talking about music in the church, and they had been reading this author, and their takeaway from this author's uh, book was um, that, that one of the advantages of having a, a really, really big church uh, was that you would have really, really good music. Now, frankly, I've been in some big churches that did not have good music, so I think that theory doesn't work. But the, the implication was that if, if you've got a lot of money, you can afford professionals to do your music. And yet, um, I think this morning, uh, our four volunteers led us very well uh, to the throne of grace and in preparation uh, to hear God's word. And so, uh, I'm very thankful for that and wanted to express that to you all this morning. Um, I'm sure it would be great if we could pay all of you full-time uh, to come and to lead worship, but um, you can have a little extra food at the next potluck if that helps. So, um, so y'all bring a little extra for the musicians next time we have a potluck. And that'll be our professional, you'll be professional status because you're paid in food. The, one of the churches I used to work at in their, their historical documents, um, it talked about how in the 1800s, mid, mid-1800s, um, they paid their pastor in produce. And, uh, and so um, we're going to return to that um, for our music leaders at the next potluck. So a casserole and what? A food box. Yeah. Hey, Alex, save them a food box this week. We want to make sure that they're taken care of. Acts chapter 10. I wanted to express an appreciation for your prayers. As um, I had to travel with my wife this week. Uh, her mother-in-law, or my mother-in-law, uh, was in the hospital. Um, as you know, she's been battling cancer for uh, several years and, and continues to have uh, ongoing complications uh, from that. And, uh, and so she is at home um, and, uh, um, and resting, but is going to have to uh, begin some uh, future treatments. And so uh, be in prayer uh, for her. Of course, she lives uh, in Talladega, Alabama, so it's a, a pretty long trip. Uh, to get down there and to see her and so um, my wife is still there and and will be there until Tuesday and then hopefully uh, be coming home um, then so so continue to pray uh, for her and for my wife as she travels I want to ask you a question this morning as we think about the final verses of Acts chapter 10 We, we we looked last week and thought last week about the idea of of what if God is calling you to something unexpected. And I hope as you you went throughout this week uh, that you were were sensitive to that calling, sensitive to that possibility uh, that God may want something from you. In fact, He may be asking you, or I would even say demanding of you something more uh, than you're doing now. Something that you would have not thought about. Something that was unexpected. That's what Peter faced in the opening verses of this chapter. This this calling he had to go to this man named Cornelius. Someone who he would not have thought about being open to God's word and open to the good news. And yet, Cornelius was. And so now the time has come. All of this has happened, a a vision to Cornelius, a a vision to Peter. Peter has has come to uh, Joppa, or rather he has come to um, Caesarea where Cornelius is. He has come there to share this good news. And what is he going to share? The question this morning, what is the message 
that we proclaim. Because I think we have to be honest and realize that, that throughout the world, there are a lot of different messages taking place. There, there are a lot of different messages that come from all different areas of our culture and our society. And for many people, the church's message is either one of many or is simply one that can be ignored. Because it's, it's old-fashioned, right? We, we like the latest thing. We, we like the newest thing. We like the shiniest object as a culture, and we, we grab hold of it. But the message we have as the church is an old message. It's a message that God has been working out since the beginning. If you've been joining us either here in person or online on Sunday nights, it's kind of what we've been looking at is this big story, this grand story of what God is doing. And this message, this message that we proclaim is the, the outflow of that story. It is the, the necessary end of that story. It's the, the truth that comes out of this grand story of what God is doing among His people. So the moment of truth has come for Peter. What does he do? What is the message we proclaim? I invite you to stand with me in reverence to God's Word as we begin reading in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. The Bible says this, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they are hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptism, or withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. You may be seated. What is this message? We are people of a message. 
We're not simply people who go out and do good works. We're, we're not simply people who are community organizers. We're not simply people who are out here to, to benefit society around us. We are a people with a message. And we must be clear on what that message is. We must be prepared to share that message. Know what it is and, and who needs to hear it. What is this message? Well, I want us to think about this message, what it is and what it does. Beginning in verse 34 and 35, we see that we have a universal message. A universal message. Peter walks into this, this group that is gathered there, and he opened his mouth and he says, I, I understand that God shows no partiality. How, how did he understand that? Well, there are a lot of different reasons he understood that, a lot of different ways he had understood that, but, but primarily we see because God had just told him that. He understood walking into this house, what the vision he had had just a, a few days before, or just really a day before, knew. that This message, when this, this vision comes to him, like a sheet that is falling down, and he is told to, to take all these animals that are on the sheet and, and sacrifice them and eat them. He didn't really understand what was going on. In fact, verse 17 had told us that he was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. But then God told him. God sent these men to him where he was, where he was praying, and they asked for him, and he goes with them back to this house at Cornelius, and he walks in, and the first thing that he says is, I realize that God shows no partiality, but verse 35, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is a pivotal moment. I said that last week. The, the message of Christ is going from being primarily a, a Jewish message, a message where, where there was a, an attempt to, to reform Judaism and show to the Jewish people, this is, this is Jesus and He is the Christ, He is the Messiah, to being a universal message which had been promised from the beginning. There were no Jewish people back when God is making promises to Adam. God has not yet called out Abraham. He's not yet called out Abraham and made of him a special people when he promises to Adam and Eve that restoration will one day come. Even at the beginning of the book of Acts, the disciples are told that they're going to go into all nations they're going to be His witnesses. They're going to be in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They're going to go until the whole world has heard the message of Christ. And so here's a reminder of that. Peter, Peter realizes and acknowledges in front of Cornelius and his family and his friends who are gathered there that this is a message that people in every nation need to hear. This is the reality of the message that we have. This is not an American message. This is not a message just for the Middle East. This is not a, a European message. You know, there's some today that, that try to say that Christians should not share their faith because it's somehow 
infringing on other people's religions and beliefs. It's funny to hear that about Baptists because we happen to be the people that believe that everyone in this country should be able to worship the way they want. That, that the government should stay out of it. Right? Whether they're trying to shut down uh, a synagogue or a Mormon church or a mosque or whomever it is, wherever it is, if they're trying to shut that down because of, of viruses or, or government restrictions, we're against that as Baptists. We think people are to be able to do what they want because we believe that we have the best message we have the only message that can save. And all of those other people who are worshiping as they want or not worshiping at all need to hear this message. We want them to hear this message. And we believe that, that the way they hear this message best is if they are free. And yet, it's said that if we take our message to parts of the world who have never heard, that it, it messes them up. That, that it messes up their culture, or it messes up their belief, it messes up their religion. Friends, the reality is if we don't take this message to the world, they have no hope. Worshiping false idols made of, of metals or wood will not save. Worshiping a God by some other name does not save. Denying who God is, denying who Christ is, does not save you and is not a religion that can save you. But the good news is that this message that, that early on may have looked like it was just for a certain group of people, this is a message that is universal. It is a message for everyone. Now it does not mean that, that Christ's death is universal in the way it is applied. And we, we must understand that, that, that not everyone is saved. But the message is available to everyone. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you believe now. It doesn't matter how you grew up. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the country of your origin. This message, this message that we proclaim is a universal message available for everyone. Available to all who will turn from their sin and believe the truth. We must make sure that we are always being about this business of sharing this universal message with everyone. That we continue to, to support missionaries who take this message to places who have never heard. Thousands upon thousands of missionaries are supported by our church and by other churches. Why? Because we have a universal message. They go to places who have never heard the gospel before. Why? Because they need to hear. It's amazing for me to think that in, in 2021, there are places in the world where the name of Jesus has never been spoken. Friends, this is a great tragedy. A great tragedy that there are many today sitting in towns and in villages who have never heard. And friends, some of those towns are here. It's one thing that someone hasn't heard in a, in a distant place that is difficult to gain access to. It, it, we understand why that is. It is not right and it is not good, but we understand that. But, but but there are people in, in our state 
There are people in our community who have never heard. It's amazing to me that that could be possible, and yet we realize that that is the time in which we live. There are children being raised up now by parents who have been secular for two and three generations. They, they wouldn't know what a church was for other than maybe for a funeral or a wedding. They've never heard. And for those people, it doesn't take missionaries who, who go halfway around the world. It doesn't take missionaries who, who go to the ends of the earth. It takes us. We are the missionaries for those people who have not heard here. And even in our own culture, our own community, where, where we have so many people who are religious and yet so few people who are believers, the message still must be heard. There are people who have their name on the rolls of four and five and six churches, but do not have their name in the book of life that dwells in heaven. They've heard religious talk and they've heard the name of Jesus, which is good, but they do not hear the message of Jesus because we've watered it down with self-help gurus is what so many preachers have become where they, they just share with you how to have a, a better life or a better marriage or be better parents, but they don't share with people how to know Christ. And you can be the best dad and the best husband and burn in hell for eternity. If you do not know Jesus. Let me promise you that if you know Christ, you become a better father and a better husband and a better employee and a better community leader because you know Jesus. This message is universal. It's for all people, for people who have never heard and for people who have heard a million times but never followed Christ. People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It's the picture that we see in the book of Revelation at the end where all people that have come to Christ are gathered together as one big family of faith. All of which have had their faith turned to sight. And yet Peter here, we're not talking about the end of the day of the church, we're talking about at the beginning, is proclaiming the universal message of Christ. It's a universal message. It is for all people but then we find as we pick up in verse 36 it is a definite message it is a definite message how do we know the difference here i'll make it very easy for you i don't want to give you an english lesson because i don't know anything about grammar you know doctorate or not just i got no idea what's right but i can give you one example the difference in a definite article and an indefinite article if we had an indefinite message we would say we have a gospel what would that mean well there's a bunch of others right some of y'all teach english who teaches english you teach english? is that right am i right okay i'm good andrew said i'm good so i feel like i'm golden on this it's an indefinite article a gospel there could be a million different ones if i say there's a boy over here i'm not telling you which which boy it is but we don't have a gospel we have the gospel it's definite the boy it's not some 
music leader. It's not a music leader. It's the music leader. It's the worship leader. There's a big difference between a gospel and the gospel. The Bible tells us there's really no other gospel. So when we start making up other good news, friends, we are going against what God has said. Peter proclaims the gospel, the good news, the truth, the one and only. He doesn't have some other message over here for the Jewish people, and then he goes into another crowd, and he's kind of got a, another message because that really appeals to them. And, and then he goes over here to this other place, and he's preaching, and he knows they really like this, and so he kind of gives them a little bit of this. See, that's what politicians do, not preachers. Politicians, they go into one crowd and they say, hey, you know, I'm not going to raise your taxes. And then they go to the other and, hey, we're going to raise taxes on the rich. And then we go over here and we say, oh, I'm not for this. I'm, I'm kind of this. And we, they've got a message and it changes, right? It depends on who they are and it depends on if they get elected and it depends on how old they are. Whatever it is, it changes. But preachers of the gospel... I'm talking about all of us in there. I'm not talking about the office of pastor. I'm talking about ministers of the gospel, all of us who have been tasked with going and sharing the good news. We have the message, a definite message. And he lays out this definite message for them. He talks about the word or, or the truth, the, the doctrine there, that word has in verse 36, being sent to Israel. He, he says, you know this, you've heard these things before because they live in enough proximity to where these things happen that they had heard about them. He reminds them about John baptizing, God anointing Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. When did that happen? At Jesus' baptism. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see he, he's kind of following that same track, especially when we might see in Mark's Gospel, which is often attributed to Peter's influence. He says he went about preaching, or rather he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And he says, and we are witnesses, talking about not only Peter himself, but the apostles, the twelve, as they went with Jesus. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. He says we, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Friends, isn't that the good news? That at a time when, when the world was hopeless, mired in sin that God sent His Son. He sent His Son and who had been promised by John the Baptist. He, he sent His Son who at His baptism was, was blessed and empowered with the Spirit. God says, this is My Son in whom I'm well pleased. That He began to go about the, the countryside and in Jerusalem and He was healing people and He was casting out demons and He was giving hope to the hopeless Many were witnesses to it. We, we remember as we just finished going through John that there were times where there were thousands who were there and witnessed what had happened. So it's no doubt that Cornelius and his family and his friends would have heard about it because there were thousands of people there. They didn't have Twitter and Facebook, but friends, they still talked. 
If you saw that, you'd go talk about it now. You might do it online, but trust me, you go to work tomorrow, you're going to be telling somebody, hey, we were all out here eating, all of a sudden there was food for 5,000 people. Or I was standing outside of this grave and I was crying, and all of a sudden the guy that had been dead for four days, he walked out. Many had witnessed what Jesus had done. And then he says they put him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to everyone, but all of those that have been chosen by God to be a witness. And he commanded us, talking about Jesus, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. That brings us all the way up to the beginning of the book of Acts. He has just reminded them of this entire story that we read and know from the Gospels. He doesn't shy away from the difficult parts of the truth. This is the message that we have. There are a lot of people today who who want to shy away from parts of this. You notice he doesn't talk about the, the moral framework of Jesus' teaching. Do you notice that? It, it's, it's not there. He doesn't start out with, the, with the, these are the elements that Jesus taught. Because there's a lot of people today that they want to read those parts and say, wow, what a, what a good teacher Jesus was. He, he taught us how we should be really moral people. No, Jesus... Jesus taught things that were available to people who have been redeemed. The morality that Jesus taught, while good, obviously great because it was taught by God Himself. He he taught kingdom living. And those things in the Beatitudes that that we look at and, and cherish... They're not available to those who are outside the kingdom. You can't live a godly life while remaining in your sin. We'll see the the passage and we'll hear people talk about the passage of of something like the the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we'll see, there's how you treat your neighbor. Yeah. But you're only empowered to treat your neighbor in that way. You only have a heart to treat your neighbor that way when you have been transformed by this definite message. And if you and I decide today that we're going to water this down because parts of this are difficult, friends, it becomes a gospel, a message, a message with no power. Is it contrary to the way the world thinks when we get to verse 40 and we read that God raised him up on the third day? This is a a difficult text for people who do not believe that God works miracles. For people who do not believe that God can intervene in the dealings and goings-on of men and women. For people that believe that that if there is a God, He kind of exists outside of everything. He put everything in motion and it just kind of plays out and He doesn't interfere now. Because we've got got much more knowledge now. We've got things like science now that that teach us how, how these things happen and this thing can't happen. He can't go about healing 
He can't go about being raised from the dead. Certainly those things can't happen. But let me promise you that if you have a message that says that Jesus is not alive, that He was not raised from the dead, you have a message that has no power. You have a message that has no hope. Because if God can't raise Jesus from the dead after three days, how in the world is He going to raise the first generation of believers who have been in the ground for 2,000 years? They have truly returned back to the dust. If God doesn't have the power to raise Jesus from the dead, how will He raise anyone else from the dead going on into the future? Where is there any hope? There certainly isn't if we just have a message. But if we have the message, a definitive, definite message, the message, one message, the message that has been handed down once for all to the saints of God, the message that we have been called to proclaim without ceasing to a world that needs to hear it. That is a message that truly has hope. So we must be cautious not to water down the message. We must be cautious in understanding that what God has given us in this book is true and valid and pure and sufficient. Because again, the, the moralism of Jesus that many will hear about gathered in congregations across the country today is not a message that can save. It has no power to redeem people from the depths and darkness of their sin. But we have a definite message. Peter proclaimed that definite message and we continue on in that tradition, in that calling, in that responsibility today. A third thing that we see is that this is a proclaimed message. I've already used that word multiple times. Verse 42, And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. The apostles in proclaiming this message were simply proclaiming what the prophets had proclaimed for decades and centuries and millennia. They proclaimed this message because this was the message that could save. Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Jesus had appointed them to preach to the people to testify just as the prophets had. The prophets had pointed toward Jesus. Now the apostles are pointing toward Jesus. They point toward Him because He is where forgiveness is found. He is where forgiveness is found. There is no other place. This is a message of hope for those who will believe. It's the only message of hope. And it must be proclaimed. They, the apostles, refused to be silent. They refused to be silent about the message that they had been given. They refused to shut up about it. We've already seen that. They've been in prison. They said, hey, if you'll, you'll be quiet, you can get out. Just, just be quiet and you can get out. And they're like, no. When they were let out, they came back and they gathered around and they said, 
What do we need? What do we need in this time when we've been told to hush? And they prayed for boldness. They didn't pray for safety and security. They prayed for boldness. Why? Because this is a message that must be proclaimed. If you look around at culture and society, and you say, I think everything is great. And I'm, I'm excited about the direction we're going in. You know, I'm, I'm excited about how secular we're becoming. I'm excited about, you know, these crazy laws that are going to, they're really going to hurt religious freedom. I, I'm excited about, about this confusion that people have, whether they are male or female, and how that's, that's not being treated as some type of, of problem, but is being, like, rewarded and praised. I'm, man, I'm excited about that. If that's you, I'm glad you're here this morning. Pretty much everybody I've seen in here comes regularly, so some of you for like decades. I, so I'm a little confused, but I'm glad you're here. Because I think most of you look at things going on and go, this is not good. Because you understand. You understand the implications of what happens. Like you, you understand how people are ruining their lives. You understand how people are barreling toward hell with no regard for what's happening in their life. You, you understand that. And you have, you have deep concerns about it. I have deep concerns about it. I, I try to read on these subjects, and, and I'm just, I'm worried about the country and the society and the culture of the world, not just of our country. But here's the question. What's going to fix it? Because there's a lot of people in the world that answer that very differently than I would. Maybe some of you answer that differently than I would. But I want you to think about that for a moment. What would solve the problems we have in society? What would, what, I'm, and I'm not saying permanently solve them. This is not some naive thing, you know, where I'm just ignoring everything happening in the world and ignoring the, the reality of sin. But, but what is the thing that, that can bring us back to what God has called people to be? I'm not calling us as Americans some special people, but each and every person made in the image of God. What have they been called to do? Well, friends, it's, it's not going to, to fix everything if we can get people to vote differently. It's not even going to fix everything if we can just get people to go to church. Friends, it's this message. It's this message that, that we are sinners separated from God by our sin. And yet in our separation, when we are far from God and ignoring God and pushing back on God, He sent His Son. He sent His Son to us, His Son to go and hang on that tree and die in our place. It is His Son who has come and made it possible that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. But how will people know that if we continue 
One, to be silent about the message and complicit in pushing other messages. Like when you're sitting at work and somebody says, man, if, if uh, you know, so-and-so got elected, man, everything would be so much better. That's when you can go, you know what would be even better than that? If people follow Jesus. Man, and that makes you sound like some religious kook, and I can only do that because I'm the preacher. But here's the question. If you believe that that is better, if you believe that people following Jesus is better than them changing who they vote for, it's better than them to stop you know, doing something that makes you uncomfortable or you don't like or you know, is wrong, that them following Jesus is what is best then why would we not proclaim that message? The world will not change. People will not get saved. People will not be born again if we continue to talk about some Gospels, a Gospel, instead of talking about the truth, the Gospel, the only message that can save. That's what the prophets did. They proclaimed the main thing. They could have looked at society and and they saw all kinds of mess because, listen, the nation of Israel was full of pretty rotten people back when the prophets were talking. That's why they were there. That's why they had a job. But what did they point them toward? Repentance. They pointed the nation toward turning back to God. They would look and see. They would see the mess and see the sin that was prevalent. We need to turn back to God. If we don't turn back to God, He is going to destroy us. If we don't turn back to God, He's going to wipe us out. If we don't turn back to God, we're going off into captivity. And the people didn't listen. But at least they proclaimed the message. And why is it good that we proclaim it? It's the last thing we see here. The last few verses. Pick up in verse 44 through 48. We have an empowered message look how powerful this message is while peter was still saying these things he's not even finished this is how good god is and how gracious god is he hadn't even finished the holy spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with peter were amazed because the holy the gift of the holy spirit was poured out even on the gentiles For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? There was power in what Peter said. There was power in what Peter said. We need to realize that there is a lot of powerless preaching and power, excuse me, less churches because they do not say what God has said. They refuse to say what God has said. They can tell you what the preacher has said. Friends, I just don't have much to say. I'll I'll just be honest with you. I I preach like this because this this is the only way I know how. Like, I'm not creative enough to sit down and say, okay, you know, I'm going to do a 12-week series on prayer, and we're going to pull out all these fun verses on prayer, which, by the way, is not 
I mean, that part's not hard to do because you just type prayer into your Bible app and it tells you all the verses and you just find one for each week and read it and then go and talk about your thing and tell a few jokes. I just don't have enough jokes for you, I guess. Because I don't know about you, but things are pretty crummy in the world and we don't have a lot of time to be telling jokes. We don't have a lot of time to be making everybody laugh because it's, you know, it's so lighthearted. Friends, people are dying and going to hell. And, and we've got comedians leading churches. Friends, the, the power doesn't come from the humor. The power doesn't come from the preacher. The power comes from the Spirit of God dwelling within us and proclaiming His Word to the people of God. And when Peter is preaching this message, the message... The Spirit of God falls on these people, these people that were unexpected, these people that Peter had thought, they're, they're not going to be saved, they're Gentiles, they're far away from God, and yet the Spirit of God falls upon them, it seals them, it shows evidence that God is at work, and Peter has to say, we, we need to baptize these people because they must be followers of God because here's the evidence of God's Spirit on their life. And so he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. The work of the Spirit showed the validity of the work that Peter was doing. You say, well, pastor, I can't speak in tongues. No, I, you can't. I, I don't believe God is still using that. I think we see that as a definite pattern in the New Testament in particular, to validate what was happening. You remember this is the time before God's Word was available? It was still being written. They can't have had the book of Acts when the things that they're doing are happening in the book of Acts. And so I don't believe that God is using this in the same way. Somebody tells you they're speaking in tongues, they're probably not speaking in tongues. They don't have a reason to speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues has a definite reason here in the book of Acts. It was to, to show what God is doing. At the beginning, as we see at the day of Pentecost, it was so that the people who were gathered there could hear what was being said. Because it wasn't like here where we have a, a primarily English audience. Most of you are, are probably not even bilingual. I'm not bilingual. I speak one language. I don't do that so well sometimes. See, there was a joke. You can let, there was the thing. I gave you your humor for today. So how does that relate to today? Because we say, well, we're talking to somebody and they don't all of a sudden burst out speaking in tongues. And if they did, we'd probably think it was strange, as you probably should. And yet, speaking in tongues is not a primary gift or work of the Spirit. I know that our, our friends in the Pentecostal churches have made that like the thing. Like, if you don't speak in tongues, you're weird and outcast. And yet, what is, how does the Spirit work today? How do we know that the message is being empowered? Because I don't believe we should see this as normative, but in this particular instance, it's the seal of God. But, but the principle still stands. The work of the Spirit is confirmation of what is happening. Well, I can give you an example. We don't do this often. I'm going to turn to a Another book as we're, as we're having service here. Whoop. 
go the right way, we will. You don't have to turn here, but share this for you. How do we know that the Spirit is at work? Ephesians, sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, what does that mean? The, the fruit, if I plant a tree, I did, I planted fruit trees at my house, okay? What am I expecting? I'm expecting that those trees will bear fruit, right? I put in an apple tree, I'm expecting that it will bear apples. I'm not expecting that it will bear bananas, because that would be dumb, because I planted an apple tree. If it does, it means they gave me the wrong thing, right? So, so what does the Spirit produce? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The Spirit fell on these people at what some scholars call the, the Gentile Day of Pentecost. What should we expect now? Because we have this empowered message, so what should this message bring about? Love, joy, peace. I don't think we have to go much further than that to begin to know whether or not the Spirit is at work. How many people say they are believers and have no joy? I tell you, the last year has been rotten. It's, it's just been rotten, to be honest with you. Just, just rotten. It's been rotten on a global scale. It's been rotten on a, a personal scale. It, it's been rotten. But your joy is not tied to whether or not the year is rotten. Your joy is tied to whether or not the Spirit is bearing fruit within you. Do you have no patience? The fruit is not there. Do you have no kindness? No self-control? This is the fruit of the Spirit. And so what does it mean? It means if, if the message is in us and dwelling within us and consuming us, this is what our life is going to look like. And when you see this list, if you say, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I, I've got half. Friends, if, if, if a few years in my orchard, only half of the trees are producing, one, I'm going to feel like a failure, and two, I'm going to cut the ones down that aren't producing. You look at them and say, I'm doing better than some other people. I'm doing better than that preacher we got over at First Baptist Eichert. Maybe so. But I wouldn't compare myself to me. That seems like a dangerous road that won't end well. I'd compare myself to Jesus and then go back and rethink what I had said. Friends, we have this message empowered by the Spirit, and this is what the Spirit produces. And here's the thing. We talk about wanting to change the world. How great would it be if the world was full of love and joy and peace? And I'm not talking about the, the, the Beatles, hippie, whatever, you know, love, all you need is love. I mean, I like the Beatles, but they're not theologians. Not in a good way, at least. But what would the world look like 
if biblical Christian love flowed out of the people around us? What does it look like to a culture and a society when we see joy and peace upon people instead of divisiveness and hatred? And friends, it comes from both sides. If you want to say we're on a side, that's fine, and we can be just as bad as the other side. If we want to lead, if we want to lead people to Christ, if we want to lead people toward faith in Him, we've got to be willing to examine not only others, but examine ourselves. And say, is this message empowering us? Are we seeing this love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control? Are all of these things permeating our heart and our life? Because when it does, we will have no trouble proclaiming this message. We'll have no trouble proclaiming the good news. Because we will be empowered by the Spirit to do exactly that. I want to challenge you with this this morning. We have been given a powerful message that we cannot keep to ourselves, and yet we so frequently do. You would not do that in any other part of your life. If you're sitting at work and someone comes up to you and says, I I feel terrible, and they describe their symptoms, and, and the doctor says, I need this pill. If I take it one time, I'm going to be fine. And you've got a bottle full of it sitting on your desk. And you're a jerk if you won't give them one pill. Everybody would say that. The the worst of the worst would say, wait, wait, you could save their life with this one thing that you have plenty of. It's what they desperately need, but you're not going to give it to them? Because you might be embarrassed. You're afraid that you'll give it to them and they won't take it. It's all the excuses that we've used, right? And yet, which one of us would not reach up on the shelf on our desk and pull that bottle down and and look at it and say, no, wait, you said your doctor said you needed this, this one. Oh, yeah, that's what I need. I just need one, and I'll be fine. And we say, no, I'm going to set it back up here. We wouldn't do that. And yet we have a message that is much more powerful than any pill that we could take out of a bottle and we keep it bottled up to ourselves, tucked away in our back pocket, hidden in a closet where nobody can see it. We have a life-altering, world-changing message. A specific, definite message for people today. Anybody who could hear it would hear it. This message is for them. And yet we keep it hidden. A message of power to the world and we keep it hidden. Could it be that we keep it hidden because the Spirit of God has not produced fruit in us? Could it be that we keep it hidden because we don't see these fruits of the Spirit in our life? We've taken the pill and we didn't think it really worked. I want to give you this as a final thought. We can only carry this message in the power of the Spirit. You say, I'm, 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 too, I'm, I'm too shy, Pastor. I'm too introverted. 
you know, y'all remember, I've been here eight years, right? Like when I got here, I was a lot more introverted than I am now. You know, it's maturity, you grow up, you get older, whatever, you spend more time with people. Like I'd been accustomed to pastoring a church where nobody ever came by, I was the only person that worked in the office, I could stay in my office all day, I could read and study occasionally, more than occasionally maybe take a nap on my couch. I came here, and, and listen, that was, that was a criticism. I had, I had criticism from people in the church about how, how you know, Dr. Pardue is, is unapproachable. I had staff, none of them work here anymore, but I had staff one time tell me, you know, Pastor, we just feel like you're unapproachable. I didn't know I was unapproachable. I hung out with myself all the time. I didn't realize that other people thought they couldn't. So if that's your excuse, you know, I, I just, I'm, that's not my, that's, that's not my, um, it's, not, it's not my character. It's not really my personality. You know, I'm a behind the scenes person. Listen, all that's excuses. We have a message and when we're empowered by that message, empowered by the Spirit, then we can bear His fruit. We can share this good news. Friends, just bearing His fruit in the world in which we live in will cause people to want to know what's going on with you. Because if you can go through 2020 and have joy, you're weird. And yet in the power of the Spirit, it's normative. We can only carry this message in the power of the Spirit. And so if this message is not something that is flowing out of you, friends, today is the day to begin praying to the Spirit. Spirit, bring up in me joy and love and peace. I want to be one who bears much fruit because when we bear the Spirit's fruit, it will include us sharing this message. Friends, this message is powerful and life-changing. Why would we ever keep it? ourselves pray with me heavenly father we we just need we need you we need you because we we look around us we look around us and we we realize that that the world has gone mad and yet the world is simply doing what it does we're reminded about the time in the book of Genesis where the world had had gone so wicked that you wiped it out other than a family some animals that you called God we see that reflected here in our culture today and yet we're reminded that that what we are to do is to proclaim this message proclaim this message of hope and truth and peace proclaim this message that is the only message that can save so God I pray that as we go from this place God it will just be will be consumed by a desire to share your good news with people who are far from you. People who don't know you, people who, who have never even heard your name, that we will be obedient to sharing that good news. God, let us never lose hope. Let us 
let us never be deterred, but, but rather let us go and proclaim who you are. Not, not afraid. Not afraid of what is ahead of us. God, not afraid of what may happen. But confident, confident in your goodness and in your grace. God, we need you now. We, we need your comfort. We need your leadership. And so, God, we just pray that you would guide us. Guide us to, to work. Guide us to proclaim. Guide us to give hope to a world lost and dying. God, guide us as we pray this morning. In the precious name of Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing a final song. And as we're doing so, I want to, I want to invite you to respond to God's Word. And you can do so in one of two ways this morning. If you have never followed Christ, if you've never put your faith and trust in Him, if you've never turned from your sin and believed His good news, today is the day to do that. Because the reality is that without Christ, none of us have any hope. And yet with Him, with Him our hope is secure. And so as we sing in a moment, if you've never followed Him, you can come and, and follow Him even this morning. But friends, if you know Him, and I know many of you do know Him, here's the question, are we going and proclaiming that message? When's the last time you, you told someone about Jesus? I, I don't care if it was even, let me tell you what God has done for me, the most simplistic thing we could do. When's the last time that happened? Friends, if it, if it happened recently, I, I'm glad about that. Let's, let's do that again. But, but if it hasn't, if it hasn't, would you come this morning? Come and pray. God, God, give me boldness to proclaim your message. No matter what, what it entails or what it costs. God, give me, give me a passion to see people who are far from you come to faith. Would you pray that prayer this morning? Whether it's been a day or you've never shared your faith, would you pray, God, give me that boldness to go and share your good news because people need to hear it even today. Would you respond to God's word as we sing together?
trust in you. I need you, Jesus, to come to my rescue. Where else can I go? There's no other name by which I am saved. Capture me with grace. I'll follow. this morning and I hope that as we go the final act that we'll have of worship will be to obey what God has said um, hearing it is one thing but we've told not only to be hearers of the word but doers of the word and that's our calling this morning is as we go whether it's now or after Sunday school that we we go with a, a heart and a mind to be obedient to what God has said Again, the, as the Spirit is at work in us, as we're thinking about the fruits of the Spirit being upon us, we, we should be concerned if we go and say, that was nice, but it wasn't for us, uh, because God's Word is for all of us. And so I hope that we will listen and follow Him as we go. I want to pray for us. We'll be dismissed. I hope you'll stay for Sunday school. The adults will be in here. Uh, the youth and children will be in their rooms. And also invite you to come back tonight as we continue studying through the Bible. Uh, on Sunday nights at 6, and so uh, I invite you to continue doing that. Let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your truth. We thank you that you love us and care for us, that you've given us 
God, abundantly more than we deserve. As we go from this place, God, I just pray that you would help us to be obedient. This, this powerful message to the whole world is ours to proclaim by the power of your Spirit. And I pray that we'll do just that as we go obedient to your word and joyous in what you've given us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.